Open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Before I read my text this morning, I want to sort of bring you up to date as to what Paul is speaking about. Throughout this letter, Paul's dealing with some very practical and uh, very serious subjects. Last week I preached a message about the shame and the suffering of sin. And I made the statement that sin is suicidal. That's true whether it's a person or, or whether it's a church. And yet people continue to sin. We, we just, some way or another, we allow the devil to defeat us over and over again. And it's as though people are deceived into thinking that God's just not enough. You know, I, I want something more. I want something better. I want something bigger. I don't know what their reasoning could be, but it's uh, way off course. And people like that are being controlled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And we've already talked about that. I think their attitude is best expressed by the, the humanist manifesto. Yes, it really is a true thing. The humanists have written their manifesto, which says, I quote, No God will save us. We must save ourselves. And let me tell you, as stupid as that is, that world view is embraced by millions of people on the earth. We sometimes wonder why politicians, for example, why they uh, do this or that or the other. Uh, we got the environmentalists that go to some crazy extreme and all of this, and uh, that pretty well, that pretty well answers that question, why they do what they do a lot of times, because they're deceived into thinking that, uh, that the problems are too big for God. We've got to do something about global warming. Like God's not in control of what's happening. We go through cycles and cycles and cycles. Brother Kenneth was teaching that the other day in Ecclesiastes. Season after season after season. I reckon who controls all of that? Well, we know God does. He hath His way in the whirlwind. But a lot of people are looking for a substitute for God. And their rebellion results in their ruin. And Paul's desire was to deliver them from that danger. He wanted them to understand that they did not have to live a defeated life. In fact, uh, he wrote over in Romans chapter number 8 that we are more than conquerors through Christ. The Bible tells us that we are to be overcomers. We're not to be overcome, but to be overcomers. We overcome by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to them in regards to what's going on in the church and all of the difficulties and their attitude toward the difficulties and their so-called solution for some of the difficulties. But most of all, it's kind of like a runaway train when it comes to the matter of morality. Look in chapter 3 and 
The first three verses gives us a snapshot of the problem here. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, he's talking to Christians here, and notice he likens them to babes in Christ. They have, haven't matured since the day that they profess Christ as their Savior. They're like little babies. Notice what he says, verse 2, And I fed you with milk, and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And listen to this scathing indictment here. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? That's about as bad as it can get for a church. The amazing thing is, Paul reminded this same church that they come behind and none of the gifts, that is all of the different spiritual gifts that God gives people, had been given to members in this church. The possibilities for this church is unlimited, in other words. And yet... He says, you're carnal. A person can receive those gifts from God and yet never use them for God. They're fighting with one another. They've got their favorite preachers. One fixed Peter and another one this one, another one that one, and they're bickering about that. They're going to law, suing one another in court. If you look at the first, well, about verse 10, I can't read all of the chapter. He says... Uh, He's reminding them that, uh, well, let's back up one verse at least. Verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and be not deceived, neither fornication, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such, and such were some of you. But now ye are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So these people have indeed been delivered from a lifestyle like that. But make no mistake about it, because you've been delivered from that does not mean that it becomes impossible for you to ever commit those sins again. Amen. And that's what was going on in that church to at least some degree. So Paul is writing with the hope that he can in some way remind them of the danger of sin and show them how they can conquer carnality. And that's what we're talking about. Verse 19, our text for today, what? Question mark. What? After what he just said about fornication and these other sins. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now there's three things in these two verses that gives us the answer to conquering carnality in our lives. 
And believe it or not, someone could be saved 20, 25, 30 years, and yet if they're not careful, they'll find themselves doing something that they did 30 years ago that was wrong, something they have been forgiven for. Doesn't result in the loss of their salvation, but if they're a child of God, they're sure going to be chastised as a result of it. Sin never pays. We never sin successfully. And so whenever we read about these various sins, let's not suppose I'm past that, I'm beyond that. And so that's why we need to understand how we can conquer carnality in our lives. God forbid that it ever be said of our church, they are, they are carnal, not spiritual. That's what's being said. That's what Paul said of this church. You're carnal. You're like little babes, he says. I can't give you the strong meat of the word. I have to just give you the milk of the word. Notice verse 19 again. Here's the first thing. If we're going to conquer carnality, we have to be aware of the Savior's purchase of us. He says, ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Now, maybe someone had forgotten or thought Paul had forgotten what he was talking about, but he hasn't. In other words, he's right on target here. The carnal person is someone who is selfish. He lives as though he owns himself, that he can do what he wants to do. And Paul said to these people, you're, you're carnal. You're allowing the flesh to dictate your actions and control your thoughts. They're self-centered. It's as though they're enslaved to their fleshly desires. And the solution is what? To remind them, you don't belong to you. You're not your own. You're not your own property. You belong to God, for you were purchased. You know, you were bought with a price. I love the way Peter put it in 1 Peter 1, 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what he wanted them to understand. You didn't gain your salvation by your good works. It wasn't through any effort but rather it was through the blood that was shed. And he's wanting them to focus in on the sacrifice of Christ, the one who purchased them out of sin, the one who made them his very own. And, and if we don't think about that, if we don't reflect upon what Christ did for us, if we don't keep looking unto Jesus, I'll, I'll guarantee you in some way or another, carnality will find a foothold in our life. Oh, it might not be anything that, uh, such as fornication and adultery or anything like that. No, it might not be that, but it can be 101 other things that nobody, maybe nobody even sees the corruption that is within the heart. And the solution for all of that is to be reminded that we have no right to do what we want to do as opposed to what God wants us to do. Think about it. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. 
I think about the price that Christ paid, and there was, first of all, there was that anticipation of his suffering. The anticipatory suffering of Christ. He says over in Revelation that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Over in Psalms, the Lord prophetically says, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. Jesus lived with the shadow of the cross in his pathway. Everything reminded him of Calvary. When he saw the roses, he thought no doubt of the thorns. The timbers reminded him of the cross. The nails reminded him that someday the spikes would be driven in his hands and feet. Even a little lamb reminded him. I am that lamb. One of these days, it'll be me that'll be sacrificed for their sins. He lived every day anticipating that. I mean, humanly speaking, the very worst injustice that the world has ever known, the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone, the worst suffering that we can even begin to imagine happened to him, and he's living with that every day is on his mind. Not begrudgingly. He understands his purpose. But every day he anticipated that moment for which he was born. That moment appointed way back yonder in eternity before time ever began. And then there was the agony of Gethsemane. He knew all about that before it ever happened. He left the upper room and he crossed the brook Ketron, which in dark waters, he entered into Gethsemane, meaning the wine press. Matthew 26 says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And Luke says in chapter 22, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Oh, listen. Not only the anticipation of the crucifixion, but the agony there in Gethsemane, it's beyond anything you and I can imagine. He's literally sweating drops of blood there in the garden because he knows what lies ahead. When you think about the one who paid for you and bought you out of the slave market of sin and made you a child of God, you need to remember that. Remember his anticipation and remember uh, this agony that he went through. And then there's the alleged trials. She goes from one false trial to another, falsely accused, having the beard plucked from his face and scourged, beaten with a cat of nine tails, crowned with a crown of thorns, smitten with a rod, and then that heavy cross laid upon his back. He did that for you and for me. How dare we act like we have the right to live as we please? We belong to Him. We're bought and paid for. But it doesn't end there. Beyond that is the actual suffering that He went through. 
the physical suffering. The Bible tells us that he was nailed to the cross. And I, oh, listen, if we had time to go back to Isaiah 52 in the last part there in Psalms 22 and to look at what was said prophetically of the physical suffering that he went through. I have in my notes the account of several different physicians that have given their account of what he went through. They try to describe all of the bodily functions and everything. And I think I've probably read one of those only one time in a message. And I've never seen a need for ever going back to that again. To think about what he suffered for me and for you, for us. Because even the physician can't even begin to describe the spiritual suffering that he went through. That's where the, the, the most suffering thing took place. I mean, that's beyond the beating, beyond the crucifixion, beyond all of that. No wonder the songwriter said, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Hanging there on the cross, and suddenly it's as though God the Father said, The world has seen enough, and He pulls a canopy of darkness over the earth. And there upon that cross, for I believe the first time in eternity, the Son was separated from the Father because the sins of the world were laid upon the Son of God. All of our sins laid upon Him. And the Father did not so much as look at Him. For the first time in eternity, He became sin for us who knew no sin. What a Savior. We sang near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help, me. help me walk from day to day with its shadows over me. And I'm telling you, if we're going to conquer carnality in our lives, then we're going to have to stay focused on the price that Jesus paid for our sins. It's pretty hard to do something that you know is wrong whenever your mind is thinking about what Jesus did to purchase you out of the sin market. Amen. If your mind is on that, it's pretty difficult. Secondly, if we're going to conquer carnality, we have to be aware of the Spirit's presence. Verse 19, what? In other words, you should have known this. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? I've often said the Christian life is the life of Christ reproduced in the child of God by the Spirit of God. I think that's true. The Christian life is not some imitation of what Jesus did. Although he is the, we're to follow him, we're to model our life after him. We, it's not just trying to imitate him as it were. Well, because I'm a Christian, I'll do this and I'll do that. No, no. It's more than that. It's us being directed by the Spirit of God to do the will of God. Amen. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Now you need to think on this. He said, I'm crucified. That means you're dead. Well, wait a minute. Paul's alive. He's writing this. How can he be dead? He's dead to the fleshly desire, that old carnal desire. He's dead to the flesh. It's no longer controlling him. Why? Because he was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, notice, he's not going to take any credit for it himself. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've often quoted A.W. Tozer. I'm not going to do it today. I don't need to. But he has quite a, quite a good statement on the fact that the church being called to live above her ability. That is so very right. Each and every one of us as a child of God is called to live a life that is a miracle. We are called upon to live a life that we cannot possibly live in and of our own. We can't do it. It's, it's beyond us. We fail before we start. The only way that we can live the Christian life is by Christ living through us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We're we change from glory to glory. How, how is that? In other words, we progress. We're sanctified. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it's by the Spirit. He's the change agent. He's the one that works in our life to bring about those changes. And for us to live a victorious life, to conquer carnality in our life, we have to be aware of the Spirit's presence within us. He's the sustenance of our life. Peter said that we're partakers of the divine nature. How could, how could we be partakers of the divine nature? Well, it's because the Spirit of God is, is living in us. That ought to just sweep us off our feet. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus is in me and in you and in every child of God. He's not only the sustenance of our, of our life and our needs, He's the seal of our security. The Bible says we have been sealed by the Spirit of God. In other words, this is our guarantee. Amen. People talk about eternal security, the security of the believer. No wonder we believe as we do once saved, always saved, because we've been sealed by the Spirit of God. Amen. There's no way in this world we could ever be anything but saved once we've been saved. He is the seal. Yes. We have security. He's the source of our knowledge. Over in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, I want you to notice what he says here in chapter 2 and beginning in verse number 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us, notice, by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Listen carefully. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? 
Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but by the Spirit of God. That's why unsaved people do not understand the things of God. They don't have the Spirit of God living within them. Oh, they can read the Bible. They can get some historical value from the Bible. They can see the facts in the Bible. But they really, can, they really can't understand the Bible. They can read it a hundred times through and until they're born again and the Spirit of God's living within them, they'll never really understand the Bible. It's impossible. The Spirit of God is our teacher. He is the one that imparts the knowledge to us through the Word of God. Beyond that, He's the strength for our service. We couldn't do anything without the Spirit of God. It's not our, it's not our natural ability or it's not the, things that, the talents that we acquired over time. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in the child of God that enables us to do the will of God. Amen. Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Well, yeah. whenever you're feeling down and out and you think, I can't take another step, I can't go on anymore. I just give up. There's no need in even trying any longer. You need to remember and be aware of the fact that the Spirit of God living in you is the strength that you need. He's the sustainer of your faith when you feel like just... Uh, Throwing the towel in. I don't want to pray anymore. I don't think I'll go back to church anymore. It just makes me feel more guilty. I don't even know if God loves me or not. Things are so bad. How could He do this to me? That's not the question. The question is, how could He do that to His own dear perfect Son on the cross? We've got to quit feeling sorry for ourselves and understand that God never puts more on a child of God than what He's able to bear if we're willing to do the will of God. Oh, we think we, think we can't go on, but really we can. Because the grace of God is sufficient for every need in our life. But it's the Spirit of God within us that gives us that strength that we need. That's the way it was for Stephen. Are you familiar with Stephen? His story. I remember the first time years and years ago, I guess somebody had just written a, a song called I See Jesus. It was a trio of girls. Their daddy was a preacher, country preacher. They happened to be at the youth meeting. Kathy might even remember it. Those girls got up there and sang that song, I See Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Boy, I about to come apart at the seams. To think about what Stephen went through. Stephen, a man who was what? Filled with the Spirit. You can read that over in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. Thank God that we have the Spirit to depend upon rather than ourselves. That's why Paul said into the Ephesians, Be ye filled with the Spirit. That is, be ye controlled by the Spirit of God. You want to conquer carnality? You've got to be aware of the Savior's purchase. And you've you got to be awake to the Spirit's presence. And then you have to be available for the Father's purpose. Look at verse 20. 
for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. It doesn't stop there. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, God's purpose in everything is for Him to be glorified. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do. I'd say that'd cover everything, right? Whatsoever ye do. Do, do all to the glory of God. And let me tell you, if we fail here, we have failed altogether. You can make millions of dollars. You can live the high life. You can have everything that this world has to offer. But if your life does not in some way glorify God, you are a failure. They can tell your story, but it's chiseling one word on your tombstone, failure. That, that tells it all. There's nothing else of any eternal value if your life fails to bring honor and glory to God. That's what we're living for. And that raises the question, what do you value most? What do you value most? The carnal person, for them, it's about fulfilling the lust of the flesh. But for the spiritual-minded person, the person that, that is available for God's purpose, the thing they value above everything else is, will this glorify God? We run into a lot of different issues in life, and we ask ourselves, should I do this or should, should I not do it? Is this right or is this wrong? Usually, if we have to answer that question, we've already answered it. It's, we know we shouldn't do it. But is it going to glorify God? That's, that's the issue right there. And that will be the desire of each and every one of us. I think about Isaiah. There in Isaiah chapter number 6. He said, Here my Lord, send me. I'm, I'm available. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't just tell you exactly where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do again? What, what's the date on that so I can put it down in my planner? How long will I have to do that, Lord? No, no questions about it. Just here am I, Lord, send me. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Whenever Saul of Tarsus there, when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, what did he say? Lord, what will thou have me to do? He signed up for service that very moment that he trusted Christ as his Savior. What would thou have me to do? And the desire of that man's heart was to bring honor and glory to God. God forbid, he said, that I should boast, save in what? In the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of being available for God's service, the sad thing is there are so many people today that are running from God instead of running to God. Just ask yourself, do I want to be a success in life? I, if we voted on it, I think every person here would say, yes, I want to be a success in life. Here's what it takes. Finding the will of God, following the will of God faithfully. That's it. Finding the will of God. We can't, we can't be successful without finding His will. Well, how do we know the will of God? 
Well, for one thing, he just told us the main thing is that we bring honor and glory to the Lord. Over in Romans chapter number 12, and he tells us here that glorify God in your what? In your body. In your body. In Romans 12, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Think about that. As a sacrifice unto God that we present ourselves. Here I, here I am, Lord. Use my hands. Use my feet. Use my voice. Use my ears. Use my eyes. Lord, use me. I, I'm, here I am. Do, do whatever you want. Are you, are you at that point in your Christian life? You're willing to do whatever God wants. You might be surprised what God would have you to do. But we all need to be at that point. That Look, you don't have to become a missionary and leave your family and go some country far away and suffer horrible injustice over there in order to serve. You don't have to do that. Now, you might if God calls you to that. You don't have to surrender to preach in order to be in the will of God. You don't have to teach a Sunday school class to be in the will of God unless that's what God's calling you to do. But there's something that each and every one of us can do. And, and God has a plan for every person here today. Finding the will of God and following it faithfully as long as you can. And I'll guarantee you, if you leave here today being aware of the Savior's purchase, thinking about that, and don't stop thinking about that, and awake to the Spirit's presence within you and then available for the Father's purpose. If you'll do that, you'll be a success in every sense of the word. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Glorify God in your body. You say, well, how's that going to help me? You, you see, some way or another, we just can't root that thought out of our mind, can we? How am I going to profit from this? We shouldn't even be thinking about that. We should be thinking about pleasing God, right? But we all know that we wonder, what's this going to cost me? And Jesus knew that we're like that. That's why when when he taught his disciples, he gave the demands of discipleship and said, right up front said, here it is. This is what it's going to cost you. But our thoughts ought to be on whether it's going to please God or not. Isaiah 43, 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory I have formed him, yea, I have made him. When we glorify God, we'll say three things and I'm through. When we glorify God, it helps us in the sense that there is suddenly a selflessness in our attitude. We don't think so much about self as we used to. It's kind of like the acronym for joy. Jesus first, others second ourselves last. Changes the way we think about ourselves. 
when our goal is to glorify God. The Holy Spirit being within us helps us to overcome the fear that torments us. Then there's the aimlessness and the boredom. and Yeah, it can happen to anyone. You can get so weary in the work of the Lord sometimes and so frustrated and even angry that sometimes you just think, well, God's not using me to accomplish anything. I'd just be better off to quit. There are going to be times in our life that we just get the mulligans. You ever get the feeling like whenever you pray that, I don't know what good this is doing because it seems like it's going no higher in the ceiling. And You ever have to stop in the middle of prayer and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm, <laughs> that I'm being so callous and indifferent. Or we sing Amazing Grace and both we and God know that we really aren't that amazed at the moment about it. We're thinking about what time is it, how much longer before I can go eat. Yeah, Satan does that. We're just human and he puts thoughts like that in our mind. And we ought to be focused on the Lord. That's why I've always said there's no reason for any Christian to ever be bored with life. We have a purpose in life that is... uh, above and beyond anything on this earth. We can conquer carnality, but before anyone can ever get to that place, they have to trust Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Maybe you're here today and you think, well, all of this sounds good. Maybe you're here today and you you see what, uh, what has happened to some of your friends or some of the other church members. You wonder, well, I, I thought they were saved. What happened to them at camp? Or what happened to them uh, here a while back? Uh, what's going on in their life? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you died on your way home that you'd go to be with the Lord? If you don't, you got a problem one way or the other, and you need to settle it before you leave here today. I sure hope you do. Let's all stand together, Father. I pray that you'll use your word today to speak to our hearts. And Lord, I said our hearts because I need these truths as much or more than than anybody here. Lord, there's too many times that I, that I become cold and indifferent in the many times that, that I neglect to think about the great price that Jesus paid on the cross. Oh, we sing songs about it, read verses about it, but just don't really sit and meditate upon what it really cost Forgive me, Lord, of the times that we just like robots just just go through the motions. Lord, help us each one to present our bodies as a living sacrifice for your service. We pray especially you'll save that person that's 
here today that's lost in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing. baptism and so Ava and Kenneth going up get ready I want you to think about something I don't want anybody noticing I said glorify God in your body and anybody what was the rest of that verse what and spirit glorify God in your body and spirit you know, most all of the modern versions have left that out. That part just says glorify God in your body. They stop it right there. I don't know about you, but I believe the King James Version got it exactly right. I believe that's exactly what was intended. And I intentionally didn't go into detail there because that would take a whole sermon. But believe me, there are so many times that, that we... On the outside, people looking at us, our physical being, we seem to have it all together. Oh, we sing right on key. We quote the verses exactly. We're so kind and, and you know, everything looks good. But what about the spirit? That spirit part of you, that's the, your seat of God consciousness. A lot of times, boy, we can be way, way off from what God wants in our life. I want you to leave here today thinking about that body and spirit. Got the outward down, Pat. What about that jealousy, that bitterness, that anger, what, what, whatever it is? that spirit within you, does it glorify God? Because if it does, it'll manifest itself in some measure even through the outward. Y'all may be seated and for the David's going to lead us in a song as we prepare for the baptism. <laughs> 